We have a counterpart here at VMware, Roberto, and yeah. I love the way he says it. He says, 11 out of 10 times is the VPN. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Powerful new technology. Cloud migration. Fully integrated system. HCX. And today we're delighted to announce Welcome to the HCX Majors Podcast, episode three for September 15th, 2020, live from Indiana. I am Britton Johnson. And from Colorado, I'm Andy Belts. From Calgary, Alberta, it's Kofi Ohulu. From Menlo Park, California, this is Francis Wong. Francis, welcome back. We missed you, you last time. I don't know where yeah. you. Were. I don't know where you were. What happened? But you just couldn't make it. So I just wanted you to know that you were missed. Probably putting out a fire. Probably. So speaking <laughs> speaking of fires, are you safe? Are you okay? Is everything all right? We're good. We're housebound. The ash has been raining for four weeks. But you were um, housebound anyways with COVID, right? Definitely, but <laughs> we're even more housebound. Like the kids can't even go outdoors right now, and. Uh, that is really rough for children, by yeah. the way. Well, yeah, that, that, that's why it used to be like that for us in Wisconsin, where we were housebound in the wintertime because it was cold. And then for all summer, we were housebound in the basement because of mosquitoes. So, <laughs> so you're kind of experiencing what I used to live like in Wisconsin. Yeah, this is highly unusual. Four weeks is a very, very long time. We've never been um, trapped indoors for this long due to air quality. It's a, it's highly unusual. I think the only place that I know of that is worse off than Northern California right now is really Portland. And to give you some perspective, yesterday our air quality was right about 197. And like safe is probably around 70. So that gives you some idea how bad that is. And Portland's was at 600. Oh <laughs> man, that's awful. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're at least safe for the most part. And uh, are, is the sky kind of orange like all the pictures I see online still? It, there Today it's a little bit better, uh, but a little bit better just means that I can see the sky and the orange tinge is a lighter tinge than the last four weeks. Uh, so... I'm hoping that the air quality improves so I can send my kids outdoors. Yeah. That That is small, small milestones. Okay. Well, like, yeah. That's yeah. I, we're all just yearning to be free from this year. So. Yes, for sure. <sighs> Everybody else, Andy, how you doing? Everything you're, you've, you, they've had fires in Colorado too, right? I mean, what's, what's. Yeah. That are mostly out, I think at this point, okay. but probably still smoldering a little bit. Yeah. I don't know the specifics. We this... definitely have hazy air, but generally speaking blue skies this is generally why i like living in the midwest because nothing happens here <laughs> you yeah. know but I don't, I don't have like some some of some friends of mine online down in texas you know they're posting about you know when one guy his wife posted something on twitter about how she killed a copperhead snake in their backyard i'm like see i don't need to deal with that <laughs> like i don't need to be sending my kids outside where things are trying to kill them you know just in nature oh, man so yeah. Kofi, what about you? What's what's up in Calgary these days? 
not too much. Winter's coming. Uh, Still, it's cold. Uh, yeah, oh, I think I talked about it the last time, but it's really it's yeah. single digits right now. Well, not sing- well, mornings are single digits, and then I saw something about snow in Colorado already. Did you get snow, Andy? Oh yeah, yeah, oh probably God. four inches at my house. It was uh, last weekend. It was 80, 88 degrees or so. Brief outside, you know, grilling outside, and then as the night came it got down to 30s and then 20s and then woke up to snow (laughs) it's all gone now so yeah i thought i was bad (laughs) i did bring my kids in the mountains and we woke up to snow we were pretty excited i mean obviously signifies skiing and whatnot all the stuff we like to do um but yeah it's uh it's definitely it's definitely it's definitely on its way and uh, it's funny because i was actually running yesterday and I could taste the smoke in the air. It's not nearly as bad, Francis, as what you have, but we can we like it's affecting us all the way up here too. So it's bad. How did it taste? Yeah, like you know, like you like you literally took a piece of charcoal and <laughs> you know just crumpled it in your mouth. It was kind of chalky. I don't know how else to tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Like I don't have asthma and I don't have any of those like hay fevers or anything like that. And I went out, I think the other day, um, when it was really, really bad and I came back and my eyes were just tearing up, um, because it it is pretty bad out there. So hopefully some cooler weather comes, uh, it would be nice to get a little moisture in the air, uh, and, and put some of this out because this is like the height of 2020 mood right now. Yeah. It's Yeah. yeah. It's just, I don't know. I, I'm, a, I'm at a loss for words on, on any of this stuff anymore. It's just like, all right, what's, let's, let's just power through and just keep on pushing. So to that end, let's talk about what we're here to talk about today. So welcome to episode three of this thing that we're trying out still. And we're, we're, we're going to try to continue our discussion. We started on the last episode talking about um, successful proof of concepts and steps and things required to kind of get things going. We talked about a lot of technical stuff, um, breaking down kind of what's needed. So this time we want to kind of focus more on the people, the processes, the, the, the people who need to be on the bus um, in order to get to a successful migration destination with ACX. So, um, Kofi, I, th- I think you have a really good take on some of the stuff. Where should we start with this? Uh, well, I mean, for me, a lot of it starts with pre-planning, right? So let's assume, I guess, that we, we are in the, we've identified that we want to move or migrate workloads where we have that consensus, right? We we know it's happening. Okay. And then I think one of the big pieces now is to understand the, the time because timing is everything because, you know, everybody's busy and you need a lot of different people uh, to be part of this. So uh, for me, the first thing is I'm assuming that we're going to get a, a PM is I know this, we don't always get them, but in my larger customers, typically what they'll project try to manager. Yeah. Right. They'll try to get a, pr- a project manager uh, engaged. And really all it is, is to let's, let's face it. It's to herd the cats. Right. So um, we've had several change tickets that need to be done. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that is exactly another reason we need yeah. a, a product <laughs> right 
but I mean, for me, I guess my, the first POC I ever did, that was one of the saving graces that we had. Um, this wasn't a uh, VMware PSO-led uh, pilot, for example. We, we tried to get the customer on board. They believed that they could have done it themselves. Um, so one of the assurances they had is like we had a PM and they're going to basically get together all the resources that we needed. And then we'll continue to argue as, as we have this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is um, that an effective strategy or not? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So once that's that's there, I mean, you, you need somebody from every 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 facet of 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 the the grouping. Somebody from AD because you you know or you know if they have basically domain services group, if you have your vCenter uh, vSphere admins, uh, you're going to need somebody who understands network. You're going to have somebody from applications team. You're going to have to have storage. <laughs> Like that's a lot of people right there that need to be involved. And it's, it's interesting that you'd even say that because, you know, we're just trying to move a workload from one, you know, <laughs> platform to another. Um, so yeah, it's, it, and understanding the destination too. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I think that's inherent in this discussion where like, there's just so many moving parts and pieces and functionality that it requires a lot of different disciplines. And I, I think maybe that's where like, a lot of customers will feel like, yeah, I can just do this myself. And technically you can, but this is where it's really good to work with a partner or work with our, you know, professional services, work with somebody who's done it once before. It's just to kind of make sure that everything that you need, you know, is available. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, this is a question for the other teams too. So when I was, so for example, let's assume that we, you know, we're moving to either VMC and AWS or one of the other mass platforms or VCF. Um, you know, what, you know, where do you guys see the first set of questions as you think about where you're moving to? Like, what is the, what is the typical first question that you get? Like, okay, we're moving from on-prem, we're going to move into like VMC or into another VCF environment. And, and what is the first thing that they typically ask you? Usually customers and partner, well, I mean, the partners know what they're up about, but the customers are like, all right, we got this mandate, this platform looks good. Um, where do we go from here? So I get a lot of questions like that. And they're really looking at VMware for guidance on how to build that hybrid connection. Um, you know, they want to hear from us what we think is the right way to establish that connection. They get the same advice from AWS, from Azure, from Google, uh, because each one of those providers have a very prescriptive path. And so in order to understand, I think a lot of them don't make any assumptions. I think that's the best best way to say it. And Andy, I guess, I mean, you'd see it also from a, like a VCF to VCF or even from a legacy to, to VCF environment. And I'm just, I'm, I'm interested in two things, obviously what kind of network infrastructure is available and Francis will come back to you because I, I want to hear about like VPN versus direct connect and whatnot. And is it set up and how do you get that stuff done? And then Andy's same, same idea. Yeah. So I think the, the thing that typically comes up and um, it's it's usually the network conversation. Uh, the the questions are okay. So I see that there's many different networks that you know maybe a customer or someone's reading through the documentation. The, the the questions usually surround. I feel like they they almost get spun up around different. Okay, I see that I might need to have a 
a replication network. I, I, I don't necessarily have one. What does that mean? Um, you know, and I think that uh, there's also, you know, at, at the core of it, we can keep it really simple to, to just get up. If we're talking a proof of concept that could be simplified to a vMotion network and a management network is what's actually needed. Um, I think that with, with any new product, uh, myself included, you look at it from a, I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't know much about it. And so you almost feel as though getting into it, it, it seems more complicated than when you actually get down and, and rubber meets the road. It actually is not that complicated, but long way to say, I think that network questions are the, the primary things that come up and, um, and, you know, some of those come with past experience from whoever's doing the implementation. I think that's well, kind of I, what I've seen. I, I like what you said, Andy. And I think what, what kind of HCX lends itself really well to in that type of a discussion is like, yes, yeah, so, you know, network people are going to walk in their room and just like, okay, what is this thing and what is it going to do to my network? And do I have to worry about it bringing everything to its knees or what is it? And, and realistically, HCX is like we always talk about, it's this thing that like NSX, it tries to abstract away all of the complex stuff and make it this simple, straightforward connection across the top of everything. But everybody at the end of the day still wants to know how that actually happens and what it actually looks like when you start, when the rubber meets the road. But at the same point, it, it, it sounds overly, overly simple to just say, well, it just works. But at the same time, it kind of just does. Yeah. Um, and it is, and it's just like, well, you know, then and, and that's where we kind of that's where I always feel like I lose these conversations with network people specifically is because they they see things in their black and white box and you know where's my CLI and how do I ping this thing and when it's really just a no it's not that at all it's just we're standing up this connection here we're connecting it to this thing over there you're done and yeah like yes but you but the, from a base level of understanding they still need to be involved they still need to be connected as part of the process because they're needed and especially you know access to the resources that they manage they're needed for that a lot of times uh, you know we we talk about hcx in a very high level and theoretical uh way especially on the sales side and it does just work you know the plumbing does need to be there and the customers are that are familiar with vSphere know that our software is deep in what it does. HCX is no different, but I think it's the movement of when you start to onboard a customer and work on HCX, uh, especially on, you know, on the VMC side, oftentimes HCX is bundled in, it's referred to, but oftentimes not dived into individually as a product. So when it comes down to onboard and we have to explain HCX, HCX is really talked about like a magic carpet and we have to take the moment mm -hmm. to break that magic down yeah, like into that. components. And those components are very understandable by the networking team. Uh, so though it's very important, especially when we're talking about over a WAN or over a VPN connection that the networking team is heavily involved because we will be riding over their work a lot, a lot of times. 
Yeah. And just to add on to that, I, and I was hoping you were going to go down that road too. I think part of the pieces is, you know, especially with the POC from the networking perspective, default uh, response is typically, what are we doing with all these, you know, layer two network stretches that we're doing? <laughs> you know, I, I don't like them. I've managed them in the past. I don't want to do them, but just, you know, demystifying what that looks like for them as they start to do, um, do this. But then also, I think uh, part of it is, it's really going to be related back to how we we really communicate that we understand um, the applications themselves and how it interacts with vSphere. Because typically, when I talk to network admins as I'm going through a POC guide, and one of the interesting things is is we do have a pretty good quick start guide. It's very comprehensive um, if you want to go through it. But there's one section that really talks about the SDGC um, details from an on-prem perspective, and it's the preparedness, right? So where typically a network team would just give you the plumbing. Like they're just going to go like, okay, here are your uplinks and uh, you go figure it out. Right. And then from a standardization perspective, the first thing that I typically um, try to ask the customer is like, okay, what does it look like? And, you know, have you standardized on distributed switches? Cause we have some customers that are running, you know, standard switching still and um, you know, or a hybrid, you know, or something to that effect. And we have right. to understand where the clusters exist can we do this and what other work do we have to actually do before we even get started so that we can have, you know, a successful POC. So talking about the basics, you know, network team, yes, they're going to want to know a bunch of stuff. Like if we're moving to VMC on AWS, where's the default gateway, right? And then what the impact is and how much traffic is going to pass and traverse the network and what expected performance is. Um, I don't know how many of you have had very a lot of success with VPNs, but I haven't personally. I think the largest amount of success has been when I've had a direct connect or uh, express route, for example, um, like a dedicated persistent connection is 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 good. I've you know I, I've I've got I could go back to some horror stories of trying to get and ensuring VPN is working <laughs> properly. So I I won't, we have won't. a counterpart here at VMware, Roberto, and yeah. I love the way he says it. He says eleven out of ten times is the VPN. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So like I don't even want to I don't even want to start with it. Like you know, it's like what do you have? He's like I. I prerequisite direct connect or prerequisite express route is like really not vpn if you want to spend extra time more than happy to troubleshoot that but you know <laughs> i think a small little secret here at vmware is yeah. the vmc team are a bunch of vpn ninjas now <laughs> yeah exactly right yeah. well it's not a secret anymore <laughs> yeah and that's pretty awesome so yeah. i mean andy I, I i i'm curious when you see a lot of like um legacy or vc or, or sorry legacy to vcf or vcf to vcf like what type of connectivity exists it's usually it should be pretty standard right yeah that and i think that's the nice part it is standard because vcf is a prescriptive model that is going to have, you know, a management domain, or I'm, I'm sorry, management network, uh, vMotion network, um, and other networks that kind of provide plumbing as well. And so when you're building out the HCX environment, um, on the destination side, you're always, if assuming it is VCF, you're going to have that standard architecture that comes from best practices and and validated designs. So you're not going to have, I mean, B 
because the VCF environment's already stood up and running, that essentially says that network team at that customer site has already done a lot of this legwork to make that available. And so then extending or getting things from the legacy environment in that case, um, it, it really just kind of depends on what they have running uh, and if it can be extended or if things need to be um, set up to accommodate maybe the, the network to be able to connect the two environments. But I almost find it is just listening to you guys talk about VMC and AWS. It, it almost simplifies it slightly just because the customer has it all where they can touch and feel every aspect of it because they've set it up, you know, on their top rack switches or spine switches, whatever. That's just my thoughts though. Yeah, they need no. a lot more control and they probably yeah, exactly. know the bandwidth and the throughput. Uh, all of that has been established and tested. Um, you know, I just got this question yesterday, you know, some, one of the customers asked me, well, what should we ex expect in terms of performance over a VPN? Anybody want to answer how you answer performance over the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's two different experiences you're going to have with HCX. One is with a private network, whether that's in the cloud or to another data center and one that's over the public internet. I think that that is kind of what's unique about HCX. You can't take advantage of almost all of the HCX functionalities on in either scenarios. Now you risk a little bit more, obviously, over the public internet because you're only going to go as as fast as this your slowest chokehold, right? But in a private environment, whether it's to another data center or you have a private uh, express route, whatever it is, to a location, you're going to have dedicated bandwidth and guaranteed latency. And with that, then HCX is going to perform more consistently, if anything. Uh, and you can rule that set of problems somewhat out, if right. you will. Sure. Yeah, 100%. So, Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, so the, all, all of this connectivity talk, I think, just lends itself to say, if you're if you're going through this process, you're going to need some network people on the bus. Absolutely. I mean, because yeah. we just spent 10 minutes talking about this and, or maybe more. And it's like, there's, there's a lot to this thing. And yeah. it's not something that you can just willy nilly necessarily just do. You can, but your success level may be higher or lower. Um, so I guess to, to the, to move into kind of the other pieces of this, like when we start to talk about storage planning, and things of that side of it. How does that sort of play into it? Because I've heard from other people in various areas of VMware that quite often one of the more often hit bandwidth or performance issues with migrating workloads is storage. Yep. It's not so much networking. So uh, what what do we got to do to for, for you know to like what kind of storage people need to be on this sort of a team to make to be able to make HCX a successful. Well, implementation. I don't know that it's necessary. I, I think what you have to do is understand where you're placing the the um, the interconnects, obviously, and where you're going to also put the WAN optimization appliance, because you want again for other for specific reasons when you're replicating, you 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 know you have if you're to your destination if it's going to be 
on say VMC or ABS or whatever, you're automatically getting into, you know, all flash type scenario where on-prem right. you might be running hybrid or whatever. So let's say you're bringing that workload back um, and you're like, well, speeds up are awesome, but back are like, they're horrible. Or basically even as I'm caching content and, and sending it off or whatever, whatever performance is down. Um, and typically I think what you'd be doing is looking at, you know, what storage, tier can i actually put this on on like on-prem right what what's available and can i put it on the fastest amount so as part of the oh, documentation yeah. too in that checklist there is a requirement right for and they call out like if you know for specific vas or virtual appliances you should be using the you know all flash storage right I, i'm pretty sure everybody's probably had that conversation with their their customer base one would hope. I, but well, no. But I, I ran into that specific issue because we couldn't figure it out until we literally found out we were running on like a three-part storage, and it was it was auto tiering, but it wasn't it wasn't there wasn't enough usage for it to get to all flush. So it, we were like, it sucks. Performance sucks. It's like, oh, we have to move it manually and pin it <laughs> basically yeah. onto an all flash array, right? So, yeah. You know, and I think with. Uh, HCX moving data. Uh, I, I I do want to point out that okay, let's pretend you have no latency problems, especially from site to site, right? From a data center standpoint, like a customer, customers going from you know a data center in one location to another data center that's ten miles away. They got fiber in between. There should be no problems. Why is it so slow? Well, how how old is the old uh, this is that you're reading from how, how many IOPS can that thing punt out? And then at your destination, how fast can vSAN write? Uh, these are all yeah. elements from a storage standpoint that can be chokeholds if you really can eliminate network. We mentioned network just because we encounter that most frequently, but if that's not a, a non-issue, then it's very equivalent to customers who copy from an S3 bucket in one region to an S3 bucket in another region, yeah. right? How fast can S3 punch out and how fast can it ingest? Same thing with your storage subsystem. And did you, yep, did you have something to add to that? No, uh, no, not necessarily. Um, I, I agree with all of what was said. Um, I, I've just heard and talking with, people internally that, um, you know, we, th we can talk about optimization of many, many different things within the environments, but at the core of it, you know, customers want to want to know certain times, how many things are, you know, how many workloads can I move simultaneously? Can, I think the, the limit is 100 in the, um, documentation or, or it's 200, 200, now, yeah. 200. Okay. I want to verify that for sure. But, um, you know, that, that takes a lot of things into account. And at the core of it, I've heard many times is that if the storage isn't fast enough to accept all of those writes on the destination end, um, it's going to just bottleneck and, and things will not necessarily stack up, but they're not just going to all go instantaneously because that still needs to be written on the destination side. So, um, yeah, simply put, I agree. And that's uh, part of what goes through my mind when, when I was listening to it. Okay. So then, the, you know, the, the kind of last piece, if we're talking about these three disciplines that, that affect this is on the, on the vSphere compute side of it itself. So, I mean, generally speaking, 
I feel like anymore, anything vSphere and virtual computing, we kind of just think we kind of just take it for granted anymore. It seems like, you know, it's just sort of there. It's this, it's the infrastructure that runs everything. And we're so used to just, it's like the chair you sit on, you just expect it to hold you. And, you know, I think we have so much faith built in up in it after using it for 20 years that everybody's just kind of like, oh yeah, sure. Well, you know, but, but there is still some, some level of, you know, compute side planning and resource allocation that needs to be thought out as you're going through this, because if you're, especially if you're going from two different sized environments, you know, we need to consider those things. So that's kind of the third leg of the stool that people need to have when they're going through this process, right? Yeah. And then, so you bring up a very good point as part of your, um, as part of your migration, specifically from legacy to a new environment, EVC mode should be taken into consideration, especially if you have to move it back. Because if when you're setting up your compute profile and you're enabling the clusters, you're assuming it's going to be at the highest um, chip, EVC chip level, mode right? or whatever. So yeah. yeah, we're going to assume. <laughs> but uh, I've run into issues where replicating back into a cluster and getting the error, like you can't replicate back because there's there's you can't there's no resources available to do it, and a lot of it is because of the EVC mode. So <clears throat> if you're going from a legacy environment or like you know, to a new environment, just make sure that you're taking that into consideration. So, you're, so to your point, we just take it for granted in a lot of cases as clusters are built, we're moving and migrating them. We're not really understanding right. what and where these workloads are actually sitting and what the impact is to move them to completely new hardware. And then, you know, and so just be aware of that during the planning process, right? Because it's, it's probably easy to move things up, but then customers will want to test it coming back down as well. And, you know, that's one of the, the caveats that I think I ran into several times. So I think I know, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. So you bring up a very, very good point on, on that. Well, yeah, that, that move up and move down should be on a checkbox for success criteria or right, right. testing of HCX, just not to necessarily test out HCX itself, but what's the expected behavior and what's the expected gotchas for a given environment. Well, and I think yeah. too, there's there's a lot of people who use this thing to consolidate environments. So they're going from you know old systems that are not as powerful as the new stuff, and so you're automatically already shrinking the footprint. At the same time, hopefully that's that new stuff can handle more than the old stuff can. But this is where where you're going to find out for sure. Here's a just a question on that too. Um, not well, a little bit outside of that, and it's more a question for the group. So, for part of a POC, we also had to show the care and feeding and maintenance of the platform, right? So part of it was, uh, you know, how do we go through, like what happens if uh, any fails, for example, or I have an issue, it's like a network extension appliance uh, fails, or we need to do an upgrade on the system. So one of the things we obviously tested was the, um, like the fast reboot, like we've tested it where, you know, network extension appliances didn't really have connectivity, but the tunnel was still up. Uh, and then what, how many, you know, packets do we lose if we were basically redeploying all the network extension appliances concurrently? Uh, and I can tell you it is extremely fast and very resilient. Like we only lose about seven pings um, of connectivity before the, as it switches between the, the old network extension appliance to the new one during any upgrade process or redeploy, right? So, um, and that's without getting super deep into 
all the other stuff we can do for the API. This is just easy stuff you can do in the console. Like you mm -hmm. click on a redeploy. So you redeploy the service mesh, redeploys all the components. It kind of gives you an idea to how to simulate, um, you know, an upgrade or maintenance or give people the, the worm and fuzzies that, you know, I have a bunch of all these layer two networks that are extended, but what is the impact of the application if I have to either reboot or do something? So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was, it was one of the pieces where I, at first we were skeptical until we ran with the customer and they're like, no, this is fine. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's, it's actually really good. Yeah. Uncertainty until it's demystified enough to make complete perfect sense. Right. And uh, then it's like, okay, yeah, no, this is fine. This is good. Um, it just works. Kind of like what we said at the start of the call. Yeah. So all right. Um, one other thing that I wanted to just quickly touch on yeah. and almost, I think, can go into another episode, maybe completely, but we talked about network storage and, and kind of the compute, but I've been in a couple of different conversations recently with some of the more architecture teams internally. And, um, you know, we're starting to have customers look at HCX also from an aspect of, you know, we've got this VDI environment, we've got this VRA environment. Um, We've got uh, other types of workloads that are all wrapped inside of a specific application. And, and I guess the only point I want to make is at certain aspects, HCX, um, it, you know, there's certain other implications and things you need to think about if you're going to be moving from one, uh, you know, VRA7 to VRA8, for instance. It's not necessarily as trivial as you might... Um, think as you might have to re-ingest workloads and also thinking about it from a vCenter perspective, um, HCX, when, when it moves it, that uh, VM is going to get a new um, ID inside of the new vCenter. And so if you've got applications like VROPs that look at those um, VMs and expect certain things from a, from a dashboard perspective, um, other aspects that just should be considered when talking to customers. I think we can go deeper on that. I don't want to necessarily do it. At that's, the, this that, that, that's the first time I've heard that. So that you learn something new every day. So thank you for that, Andy. Sure. Yeah. Um, so uh, and yeah, we'll, was, we'll have to definitely dive into more of that. Yep. So I just was adding, you know, potentially a fourth layer of something to think about when you're maybe yeah, talking well, with customers. And, that, and that's, that's the, the thing with doing software defined data center computing, right? Is, everything's at software and stuff changes in software. And so that's where you got to kind of have, you know, automation plans and things built around static objects as much as you possibly can. But at the same time, be able to shift and move on, on the fly. Um, so that's, that's interesting. I think having a, a, a source environment that doesn't have things that are very, very customized, is is a simpler uh, approach obviously whatever right. the customer did in the past is what they did but well um just yeah uh, yeah, yeah and then and, and no nobody wants to be a snowflake but everybody is in some level <laughs> so yeah um that's just an unfortunate truth of in reality of it these days yep all right um any final quick thoughts as we wrap this up no Oh, no, yeah, that's good. good discussion. Good. Yeah, I think this was really good. Um, again, you know, to recap quickly, I mean, you, to, to really do this well successfully, follow the Getting Started Guide. We'll link that um, in the notes with the episode. 
uh, and, 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 you know, reach out, get, get ultimately get some help. If you're going to talk through this thing, at least just get some help to talk through the process. That's what we're, that's what the majors here are for. Um, you know, talk to your NSX people, you know, everybody's kind of got we're, we're, a good understanding, but, but, you know, the majors are here to help bridge that gap even more. And, and ultimately don't be afraid of this thing because it, it works really well. And also selfishly, if you're looking for more information, check out VMworld 2020 this year and listen to Kofi and I's presentation. It's session ID VCNC1847. And um, there's a ton more HCX content coming in VMworld as well. So it's free this year for everybody to attend. Please register and go get out there. Um, thanks again to Andy, Kofi, Francis. I'm glad you're back. Glad you're safe. And uh, let's uh, we'll, we'll gather again soon and keep this discussion going. And I think next time, you know, we'll, we can we can dive into some of this automation piece because I've not considered that before. Um, and also, we will probably talk about something other as we keep going through this. One of these days, I want to get get like super deep into the OS assisted migration piece. That's really fascinating how that works. So, all right. Until next time. I am Britton Johnson, and for Andy, Francis, Kofi, everybody, have a good good month, and we will talk to you later. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the HGX Majors podcast. My thanks to Francis, Kofi, and Andy for joining me. If you're enjoying the show, please rate us on your podcast app of choice. Please share it so others can find us. And thanks again for listening. Real simple, any device, any application, any cloud, intrinsic security.